Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff uh, at HBIC. Uh, and children and youth are dismissed to their classes. Um, <clears throat> just a few bits of housekeeping before I get into it. I am uh, what you would call sick today. So I'm going to keep my distance up here behind this podium. Um, no one rush the stage if you value your health. Um, and to that end, I will not be doing the uh, kind of, you know, normally when Hank preaches, he does like the receiving line at the back of the sanctuary. I'm not going to do that this morning. It's no offense to you. So if you have uh, feedback for my sermon, you can send that to my email, which is P-A-S-T-O-R-H-A-N-K at harrisburgbic.org. Uh, we will get all of that and respond to it promptly. Um, there is a table in the lobby uh, with information about discipleship. Normally, I'd be back at that table to kind of answer your questions, give you information. We've got groups and different things starting this week. Uh, but upgrade, we're going to have different people that are leading the groups and members of the discipleship team back there instead to kind of greet you, answer your questions, whatever that may be. So I uh, encourage you to stop by there. A lot of our groups and different things are kicking off this week. You can find information on that stuff in this handout that's at the table. Um, there are these handbooks as well at that table and at these back entrances. I'm going to be talking about that in a little bit as well. Um, encourage you to grab that. Um, just want to let you guys know that I'm not trying to ghost everybody. I just uh, am not feeling super well. Um, so let me pray, and then we'll get rolling into the sermon. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, sustain us this morning. Sustain me. Uh, may my words be your words. May they be made effective by your spirit. Um, may they uh, have the the result that you would want in each of our lives this morning as we uh, submit ourselves to you, put ourselves under you and your word. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you and we thank you for your presence with us this morning. Um, and may we be a changed people as we worship you together. Amen. David Foster Wallace famously told this story at a commencement address. He said there were two young fish swimming along and they happened to meet an older fish who was swimming the other way. And the older fish nods at these two young fish, and he says, Morning, boys. How's the water? Uh, and then the two young fish swim on for a little bit, and then eventually one looks over at the other and says, What the heck is water? Wallace says the point of this story is that the most obvious important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see, hardest to talk about. And that's kind of how I felt this morning preparing a message on discipleship to preach to the church. I kind of feel like I am preaching to fish about water. Because discipleship, the act and process of following Jesus, is everything, right? It is the reason the church exists. It is how the church carries out her mission. Discipleship, following Jesus, is, is what you were born for. It's what you were made to do. It is Jesus' plan A for saving the world. And even though I'm the pastor of discipleship here at HBIC, every ministry, every aspect of our church is rooted in following Jesus, is an expression of following Jesus. Amen? But as Wallace says, something that, that integral, something that important can be hard to see. It can be hard to talk about, right? We're too close to it. Uh, it's the water that we swim in, so we are at risk of taking it for granted or neglecting it entirely, maybe. Uh, when I was growing up in the Harrisburg area here, there was a, a church nearby that would have a counter on its website that would run throughout the year that would say, Something like, you know, number of converts in 2022, 512, or whatever it is. And this ticker would go up throughout the course of the year. Which I suppose is better than the alternative, like it's been 700 days since our last conversion incident, right? That would be uh, less good. I have, uh, when I would see that, I had and still have uh, mixed feelings when I hear that. On one hand, it's, it's like, you know, praise God that people are repenting and turning to Jesus, having, having some type of spiritual experience, making a decision. Praise God for that. But my, my dominant reaction often is like, okay, cool, but are those converts becoming disciples? Because it's not the same thing, right? Are those decisions for Christ, are those people still deciding for Christ daily a year later? A disciple is a follower of Jesus, someone who's obeying and submitting to his teachings, to his example. Conversion is only the start of discipleship. Too often conversion is where it stops. Too often, as Dallas Willard has noted, our churches are full of converts, 
not necessarily disciples. Jesus tells a parable of a person sowing seeds on the ground. Uh, The seed being sowed represents the good news of Jesus. Some falls on the path and never takes root. Some falls on good soil and bears good fruit. But, But other seeds, there's two other kinds, some of them fall among thorns. And Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. So the seed apparently takes some kind of root, it becomes a plant, but but it's not a fruit-bearing disciple, a convert maybe. Other seed falls on rocky soil, about which Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution becomes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Jesus isn't only interested in the seeds that take root, he is looking for seeds that bear fruit. And you know that's true and profound because it rhymes. Amen? He didn't command us to go and make converts of all nations, teaching them to believe about Jesus. He told them to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught them, to see lives truly changed. James, later in the New Testament, says it's not enough to simply believe, right? Even the demons believe and shudder. Now he says, I will show you what I believe by what I do. Likewise, we are called to live out our faith. Followers of Jesus are people who follow Jesus, right? Fish meet water. (laughs) Again, I hope that sounds super obvious. I hope it sounds like describing water to a fish, but just for good measure, we're going to dig into it. We're not going to take it for granted that this is something obvious and something that we're all doing. We're going to dig into it deeper, and we're going to talk about what it looks like together, because as, as an Anabaptist church, we also put a special emphasis on the idea that uh, it, it's important to think about this together, that something unique happens when the church together bears witness through their actions as Christ's body. First John 4.12, over the last couple of years, has become like my favorite verse in Scripture. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is a staggering verse to read because the exact same grammar is used in John 1.18. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we're talking about how Jesus makes the invisible God visible, makes God known and explained to us. 1 John 4.12 says the exact same thing about the church. That if we love one another, the invisible God is made visible. When we act as citizens of his kingdom, then the kingdom reign of Jesus is made manifest among us. That's what's at stake when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about really following his commandments. So what are those commandments? How do we uh, summarize, how do we wrap our heads around the teachings and example of Jesus from the Gospels, from the New Testament large? Um, here at HBIC with the discipleship team, with the whole church, hopefully, uh, we're going to be leaning into an acronym that I'm going to uh, share with you this morning. Uh, it is the acronym LORD, L-O-R-D. Acronyms can be corny. We're just going to embrace it on the front. Acronyms are corny? Yeah, listen, get over yourself, all right? <laughs> just, you're not cool. Embrace it. We're all embracing it. Amen. It is a helpful tool that we're going to unpack this morning. We can't carry the whole New Testament. We can't carry all the teachings of Jesus around in our heads all the time. We can carry this. It's a helpful tool. We're going to talk about it. Lord reminds us the followers of Jesus ought to be growing in love, in obedience, in reconciliation, and in discipline. That is our simple picture of a disciple here at HVIC. We're going to dive into that deeper. You're going to get four sermons today for the price of one. Praise God. You will be dismissed in time for the second half of whatever football game you're looking forward to. Go Steelers. Um, Is that popular here? No? All right, Pauline's with me. That's good enough. That's good enough. Thank you. Um, We're going to dive a little bit deeper into Lord and then kind of wrap this up talking about a few other things related to discipleship. Four very short mini-sermons, I promise. Okay, so the L in Lord is love. When asked which of the commandments is the most important, Jesus answers, the most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Jesus is asked, what is the one single most important commandment? And when he asks that, he, of course, answers with the top two. Because Jesus... 
Because Jesus does not answer our questions directly in the way that we phrase them. Uh, Sometimes it's as if our questions need to get on his level, right? So he answers with two answers. His first answer is the obvious Sunday school answer. This would have been the answer every single learned Jewish person would have given. This was the correct answer. This was the most famous verse in the Hebrew Bible. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. But he appends it with the second, love your neighbor as yourself. But I think that we can glean from Jesus' unexpected double answer that these two commandments are, are not really two different things, but are the same thing or very, very closely related. In 1 John 4, we read, those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters, they are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Likewise, in John 15, Jesus says, if you want to abide in my love, if you want to enjoy the relationship with me that I enjoy with my father, that perfect relationship, if you want to abide in my love, obey my command. And what is my command? That you love one another. Love for God, love for neighbor, for brother or sister, for enemy. They are... (laughs) Basically the same thing. They're so tightly tied by Jesus himself in Scripture. So Jesus' two answers are really one. But what is love? Is it a feeling? Is it an action? Yes, right? Some of you are going to remember there was a really corny uh, early 90s Christian hip-hop group called DC Talk. Yes? Are we down with the DC Talk here this morning? Anyone? They had a famous song. Famous, there's an asterisk on that because, again, they were an early 90s Christian hip-hop group, but famous relative to that, uh, the chorus of which was, I don't care what they say. I don't care what you heard. The word love, love is a verb. Also, love spelled L-U-V in that context, just if anyone <laughs> wants to keep track of those details. Um, DC Talk was half right. Um, scripturally speaking, love is something we do, yes, but it is also something we feel. Let's not skip over the language of that Deuteronomy verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That is not leaving any part of your being out and certainly not your affections. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Is love a feeling or an action? Yes, As we act in love towards God, toward our neighbor, we will come to feel more love for them. And as we feel more love for them, we will be inclined to act in love for them, right? This is kind of a cycle that goes on and on. It's like a hamster wheel that we jump onto as we love each other. Hamster wheel is a bad image for that. It's like a merry-go-round, maybe, right? Let's call it that, that we jump onto. We want love in action, love in affection. So if I don't feel love for a person... And my mandate, according to scriptures, is, all right, well, act like you love them. And, you know, eventually you will (laughs) with your heart and your soul. Likewise for God, if we come to worship and we stand here cold, you know, feel nothing, maybe there's some type of action we need to do to jumpstart our affections for God. Maybe that worship needs to start earlier in the week. And on the flip side, you know, warm feelings mean nothing if we don't act our love out. Scripture is very clear on that. Thomas Jefferson might have had warm feelings for the 600-plus humans that he enslaved over the course of his life. In some cases, he had too warm of feelings. We're not going to get into that. But that's not love, right, if it's not accompanied by action, by willing the good of the other, by putting them before ourselves or our own lives. Disciples of Jesus will grow in loving God and neighbor with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. The O in, in Lord is obedience. Last Sunday we sang these words, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I want to read the passage that that song is drawing from, and then I want to dare to make a slight uh, correction to that beloved hymn of the faith that predates me by like a century. Um, so both the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and then the Sermon on the Plain in Luke Uh, These were really important parallel passages, important blocks of Jesus' ethical teachings in Scripture. Uh, But both of them end with the same parable. Um, I'm going to read Luke's version, which is in uh, 646. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. 
He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. All right, so quick pop quiz. What exactly is the foundation? What is the solid rock that the wise builder builds on? This is where the song and our best Sunday school answers would want us to say, Jesus. But technically, the solid foundation is Jesus' teachings. That's a minor nitpick, maybe. Uh, And of course, in so many ways, Jesus himself is our foundation. But in this parable, it says the wise person is the one who comes to Jesus and hears his words and puts them into practice. So when the storm comes, when the wind and the rain and the trials and tragedies of this life come crashing down on us, around us, what is the firm foundation that we can stand on Jesus' teachings? He offers up these commandments to his disciples, and these commandments are not ways of saving ourselves or attaining righteousness. They are a lifeline. They are a new way of life for those he has already saved. These commands to love our enemies, commands to reject anger and lust, commands to not worry but to trust in him. Everything that we read in those red letters of scripture, Jesus says when the storm comes, hold tight to those and practice them and you will stand secure. You won't necessarily be spared the storms. You definitely won't be spared the storms, right? Loving your enemies is not an effective way to lead a happy and blessed life. Spoiler alert. You will not be spared the storms, but you will stand secure in them. And if we have any kind of internal resistance to that word obedience or to that notion, just so I'm clear, obedience here is not like restriction. It is not dead law. God's commands are and always have been a pathway to life, to joy and peace and strength in the storm. So disciples of Jesus are growing in obedience. We are opening the New Testament We're literally sitting at the feet of Jesus, our rabbi, our master, learning to live out his teachings and his example. If we truly call him Lord, we'll do what he says. It's pretty simple. Not easy, but simple. Amen? The R is reconciliation. Uh, in, In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, God reconciled himself to us through Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. Disciples of Jesus carry out the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation especially racial reconciliation, is something I'm sure we've heard a lot before. It's something that's kind of sunk into the DNA of this place by, by intention, uh, which I'm super thankful for because reconciliation is a, a biblical word. It is a biblical mandate that is put on us. But it is not something that we've always done well. Uh, there was a prominent Christian men's conference. Their heyday was in the 90s called Promise Keepers. To their credit, Promise Keepers was one of very few uh, evangelical organizations in the 90s that was willing to speak on uh, racial justice and equity at all, right? One of the very, very few, to their credit. But it was a common practice at Promise Keepers rallies to, at one point in, in the weekend or whatever it was, to call on their white men in attendance to repent of their personal racism and then go find a black man in the crowd to hug, which I cringe a little bit, like just saying that out loud. Um, Couple issues there. First, uh, Promise Keepers rallies were over 90% white. So if you were a black man in attendance, that was just an unsustainable amount of hugging. And (laughs) just uh, just a nightmare scenario. So much hugging, Um, which I'm glad we can laugh at a little bit now. Um, And I'm just like, who was that exercise for? But anyway, uh, the the bigger issue was, you know, in a certain way, Promise Keepers was kind of short-circuiting the reconciliation process. You know, they were confessing, which was great. (laughs) That is step one, and that is very good. 
Uh, but then they skip straight ahead to the end, straight ahead to like, now we're reconciled, now we're hugging. But there were important pieces missing in the middle, namely like restitution and, and reparation. We must remember that, that biblical reconciliation, as we get it in 2 Corinthians 5, the image this is rooted in is the cross, right? Reconciliation comes on the other side of this incredible, terrible, literally like earth-shattering sacrifice that Jesus made by his own death. The sin separating us from God had to be dealt with, had to be paid for. And we might balk in contemporary times at the word or the concept of reparation, but like what else was happening on the cross except payment of a debt, payment of a wrong, and making that right. That is the image that is the thing that we carry forward in the ministry of reconciliation. Too often we want to skip ahead straight to Easter morning, right? We want to skip right ahead to hugging. But we haven't sat with, we haven't dealt with what needs to be dealt with. That applies at every level, right? You know, I say reparation, and we're going to think about politics and the national level, but it applies at, at the interpersonal level, at a church level. We can't like reconcile, really. We can't move forward together, really, until we acknowledge the debt of our sins, not only acknowledge the debt of our sins, but, but, but repaired and repaid, carrying forward the implications and the power of what Jesus won for us on the cross, making that real in our relationships, in our life. We can't reconcile without that. And praise God for all that Jesus repaired on the cross. Amen? Paul in Colossians says, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. In Ephesians he says, For Jesus is our peace. In his flesh he has made Jews and Gentiles into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. As disciples of Jesus, we carry forward the implications of what Jesus did on the cross, and we actualize that in our relationships. We actualize that in our communities. We know that he paid, and we continue to pay. We continue to sacrifice ourselves, our time, our very lives to bridge all the gaps we find around us in this world. To see the reality of what was won on the cross in our lives. I think we should heed when Paul says in Jesus, God has reconciled to himself all things. Elsewhere in Romans 8, he says that the whole creation is groaning. Longing for God's people to be revealed to help set the creation free from its bondage to decay. So we carry forward the ministry of reconciliation in our relationships, you know, in the systems that we're a part of in the world, in the U.S., in Harrisburg, in our church, in our families. We carry forward the ministry of reconciliation even in the literal groaning creation, right? Working to care for and cultivate our environment and steward it well to live up to the very first thing God asked us to do. In all of those ways, disciples of Jesus are reconcilers. Last one in Lord, we have love, obedience, reconciliation, now discipline, which undergirds all of them. Discipline is another word like obedience that might trip us up, um, but it is so core to discipleship. I mean, they, they're like the same word, right? Discipleship, discipline, it's it's. Very, very tied. Uh, discipline here does not mean spanking or giving a timeout, just as a quick clarification. It might mean giving yourself a timeout. Often that's what it's going to mean, actually, now that I think about it. But, but what we're talking about, of course, is, is the spiritual disciplines. Uh, in this case, the, the classical spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, meditation, and scripture study. When asked why he practiced meditation, Dietrich Bonhoeffer replied, because I am a Christian. And so it is with all of the disciplines. As we sit at the feet of Jesus as his disciples, we will grow in cultivating the spiritual practices that he practiced. We can see Jesus' dedication to prayer and meditation in just two short verses in Luke 5.15, where we read, The news about Jesus spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew. Sometimes, Withdrawal for him looks like literally jumping in a boat and sailing across the sea to get away from people. Uh, which tells us two things. First, there was times for where even for Jesus, he like can't even, right? He just had to go. 
Even for Jesus, he had those moments. The second, and this one's a staggering one for me to always reflect on, is like Jesus didn't heal everybody he could have healed, right? Jesus didn't meet everybody he could have met. He didn't, he didn't talk to everybody he could have talked to. You know, Jesus lived for 33-ish years. He did ministry for a very short portion of that and spent a good portion of those couple years literally running away from crowds that were hounding him, wanting to spend more time with his disciples and spend more time in prayer and with his father. You know, our productivity-obsessed Western world might second-guess that. <laughs> second-guess, like, Jesus, he had one shot, one opportunity. You going to capture it or let it slip? It was hanging right there. I just I started, and I had to keep going. Um, why wouldn't you make more of your time? You know, we in the Western world, we like to uh, set up prayer and doing stuff as if those are two opposite things, when they are absolutely 100% not different things. Prayer is doing stuff. That's true for Jesus. It was true for Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Let that sentence sink in your head for a second. I suspect we are too addicted to our cell phones, too consistently plugged into this open fire hydrant of just entertainment and content and noise that the world sends our way all the time to see the value in prayer and meditation and the other disciplines, to see our need for those things. And even if we can get our heads above water of all the sensory, everything we're in, to see our need for those things, you know, we're too busy and busy-minded to pray effectively. There's a lot of us, me included, that were I to try and just sit down in silence for like five minutes right now and tally the amount of times that my you know, brain compulsively wanted me to reach and check my phone, scary, right? I know that's true for a lot of us. That's kind of the culture we're in right now. But disciples of Jesus are going to practice, swim up that stream, practice unplugging from the frantic busyness of this life and devote themselves to prayer, to fasting, to studying the word, to meditating on the word. This is, is so crucial and it really undergirds love and obedience and reconciliation because if, if we're, you know, I've talked about all these things that we would be doing and discipleship is action, as I said. It is following, it is doing, it is trying. But, but if we're doing all that, and we aren't rooted in the spiritual disciplines, if we aren't guided by the Spirit in prayer and through Scripture, we are headed for a shipwreck, people. Richard Foster says, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. That's what's happening in discipleship. In the end, it is the spirit of God that is working all these changes in us, making us more loving and obedient, making us agents of his reconciliation. The spiritual disciplines put us in his presence, allow that work to unfold rooted in him. From the beginning, discipleship was always being with Jesus, living life alongside him, following him, imitating him. And by the spirit and with scripture as our guide, we can do that today. So... That's uh, Lord in a nutshell. Um, love, obedience, reconciliation, discipline. An easy way to kind of hold in our mind what we mean when we say discipleship. What it looks like practically for us to follow Jesus. It's not the end all, but it is a helpful tool. You know, as we follow Jesus as individuals, as, as groups, whether we're in a life group or a study group or whatever it is, or just with your friends, you know, you can be going through Lord as a way of reflecting on your own growth, your own interactions with each other. Maybe you're offering yourself, you know, a check once in a while. You know, as an individual, you can go mentally through Lord daily, weekly, you know, if you pray or, have a, you know, have a journal that you use, you know, and ask yourself, what could I do to grow in love for God and neighbor this week? Who is God calling me to love this week? Or maybe start with, who's the person I can't stand the most in my life? It's a hard word, Pastor. And, and what can I do to hop on that merry-go-round and start acting in love towards them? What specific point of obedience is Jesus calling me into this week? Which red letters are popping out at me or where am I convicted of my own disobedience and I need to reflect on that? How can I bring reconciliation in the different spheres I'm in? Maybe I've got two friends constantly talking bad at each other behind each other's back and I need to bring them together and hash it out. Or other ways of reconciliation. Maybe I need to uh, run for school board. Or maybe I need to start returning my shopping cart to the place that it belongs when I'm done. 
Guys, you laugh? I'm, I'm so serious right now. <laughs> to walk into the Walmart parking lot and just like, you could go to any spot you want and park there, and there's not going to be a cart at the last minute blocking your way. I mean, the kingdom of God come to earth. <laughs> you laugh. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> in little ways like that, we can, we can repair this broken creation. We can be asking ourselves, how's my discipline? You know, have I been regularly starting my days with prayer? Confession, I have not, right? Do I need a phone fast? What can I do to position myself before the Lord? Make space and silence for him. And we can do this at every level of our church life, right? You know, we have life groups that are meeting uh, regularly. Can, can they use these categories to help keep each other accountable? You know, it, it's one thing to just check in each week. I've been in groups where we've met for two years, and, you know, we'll ask each other for prayer requests, and, and we'll pray with each other. And then the next week, we, we never mention that stuff we were praying with each other about. We just move on. And, hey, any more updates? You know, we don't, like, check in. You know, this can be a helpful tool. Be like, hey, you said you were going to, like, you felt convicted. You needed to love this person better. Or you needed to bring reconciliation in this place or whatever. Like, you know, we can use these in our groups. Like, write it down, people. <laughs> Circle back. That's how we're going to grow. It's by tracking this stuff. This tool is just meant to help us be more intentional and purposeful in this kind of thing. We could do this at every level of our church life. You know, worship team. You know, you could be asking yourselves, like, how are we growing in love for God on a Sunday morning? You know, don't take for granted that because you're up here worshiping, playing music, that, like, that that's happening, right? Maybe y'all need to, I'm sorry to single you out. I'm just going to look right at you. We're just going to embrace it. Um, maybe you need to, like, play a song in practice that you're not going to play, you know, with the congregation just as a simple, like, this is a moment to just adore God, and we're going to let it be. You know, maybe children's ministry volunteers, food pantry volunteers. Do I have beef with another volunteer? Anyone in the church? I can't imagine. Um, or anyone in the church, right? I better go and be reconciled to that person before I try and come and exhibit the love of Jesus to these kids, right? Because that's what we're actually showing them and teaching them, you know? When God is making his appeal through us, he is making his appeal through our reconciled relationships. So are we going through these paces and thinking about this at every level of our church life? These are the things that we should be thinking through. If not, Lord, then some other tool, but we need a way of focusing ourselves, following Jesus with purpose, with intention, so that by his grace we are really and truly becoming his disciples more and more each day. Um, as I wrap up here, just one more little thing. Um, in keeping with all of this, in keeping with that idea that, like, at the end of the day, we need to just be changed people. That's what we're about here. Um, I lead the discipleship ministry with the discipleship team here at HVIC. Uh, the model going forward for us is going to be less about, like, come be a part of our program, or we should all be in X, Y, or Z, like, HVIC-sponsored thing or curriculum or whatever it is, and more about empowering you to be a disciple in the existing rhythms and relationships of your life. Empowering and equipping our whole church to be disciples of Jesus together in the existing rhythms and relationships of our church life, right? Programs and classes and these different things are really helpful, and that's part of what we're doing here, right? You know, I'll give a little plug for uh, in two weeks, on the 21st, we're doing uh, a study on Jamar Tisby's book, How to Fight Racism. That's a topic that we want to consistently every year be lifting up and circling around as a church. We think that's important. We want to learn together. But even in that, if that's not undergirded by our desire to grow and change as a result of that, to become more fully followers of Jesus and more mature followers of Jesus, then, then, then what's it really worth? So the discipleship team wants to be less about be a part of our program, more how can we equip and empower you? We want to do that primarily through uh, coaching is what I'm calling it. It's a weird word to use, but it's the best one, I think. It just, what I mean is just like we want to spend our time not planning events. We want to plan our, plan our, spend our time sitting down with you over coffee, talking about your life, your relationships, and thinking through how could you more intentionally and purposefully be a disciple, disciple others, be discipled, um, how could you enact some of this in your life, in your existing rhythms and relationships? How when you're volunteering at the food pantry or on worship team? How when you're having dinner with your estranged family members or watching a football game this afternoon, could you, with more purpose, be following Jesus? We want to walk through that with you in one-on-one -on -one settings. Discipleship does not always mean adding another thing to your agenda. You're welcome. It could just be about transforming how you approach the things that you're already doing. 
because we're all doing a lot. We all are, you know, half underwater or fully underwater a lot of the times. What we're looking at doing is, you know, how can you transform your approach, transform your perspective, transform, you know, the things that are already at work in your life. So just through discipleship coaching, we can be examining some of that. We can be asking you, you know, if, if the journey of discipleship is a path, then, then who is the spiritually mature person ahead of you on the path that you want to learn from? Who are the spiritually mature people beside you that you should be walking alongside in a life group? Who's, who's the person, you know, behind you? I hesitate to say it that way. You know, someone that you feel called to invest in and to mentor. You know, thinking through those paces and then empowering you, praying with you. That's the most important thing. Praying with you through that, that the Spirit would move and do its work. That, that's what we want to be doing here at HBIC with discipleship. And it's going to look a lot of different ways. We want to get creative. We are not here to fit everyone into a cookie cutter, right? That's not what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is not, you know, even as we are conformed in the image of Christ, it's not a cookie cutter. We are his body, right? It's a powerful metaphor and a powerful image, and that's what, what I want to close with. Following Paul's words in Ephesians 4, he says, we want to grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's our hope here. Each of us is part of a body. Each ligament and tendon, some of y'all, some of y'all are ACL out there. That's super important. You're going to find that out with your team in a couple hours. Um, but which part of the body are you? How can we empower you to collectively follow Jesus together? That's what we're about. So with that body image in mind, I, I think it's fitting that we now turn to communion. Um, as we, the body, remember our communion with one another, our communion with God, and as we again remember the reconciliation won for us, the new journey of following him that we've been called into. Um, so I'll invite Pastor Hank up at this time. We'll do communion. In. Uh, there I am. <laughs> wow, that's loud. Hopefully as you came in, you received communion elements. If you did not take them as you come in, just raise your hand. We have people who are walking around who can help you and give you everything that you need. Um, again, for us, we do not require that you're a member of this church to partake in communion. But in accordance to scripture and tradition, we do require, well, not us, but God requires that you belong to the church of Christ. So if you need help, again, just raise your hand. We'll do that um, together. We now invite you to come to this table, not because we must, but because we may. We come to testify, not that we are perfect, but that we sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. We come not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in our frailty, we stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. We come not only to remember his death, but also his resurrection and his promise to return. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before us, let us lift up our minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to us the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Our responsive reading today comes from Philippians chapter 2. We'll have um, your part and our part up front. In our relationships with one another, we should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. He humbled himself even to death on a cross. God gave him the name that is above all names. And every tongue should confess. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Our Father God, we thank you that in your example, Lord Jesus, we see what lordship looks like. We see the love that led you to die on the cross for our sins, to allow your body to be broken for us. We see the obedience in you heeding the Father's command and taking on our sin to repair our relationship. 
Lord, we thank you so much that we are now reconciled because of your sacrifice. We thank you so much that because of your discipline, you choosing to stay on that cross, to suffer for our sins, to be broken, that we are now healed. So with this bread, we remember your body broken for us to give us life, you, the bread of life. We thank you for your sacrifice, your love for us, your obedience to the Father, and that we are now made whole through your sacrifice, reconciled to God and one another. In your name we pray, amen. Now another responsive reading. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as always, we are humbled. You don't ask us to go anywhere that you didn't go first do anything that, that you haven't done. Uh, you paved the way through your own body and blood. You became flesh and bones to, to come and save us out of love for us. No matter how often we remember and celebrate this, may we never stop being humbled. May we never stop being awed by what you did for us. Thank you for your blood of the covenant that cleanses us and makes us new. Lord Jesus, amen. My brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ take this cup remembering that he said this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins drink of it together and be thankful uh, at this time I invite the worship team back up uh, and if there are any pastors in the room um, I want to come up to the front if you would like to receive prayer for anything um you're welcome up uh, before we close our service.
I wanted to let you know quick that uh, after our dinner together this Wednesday, so we're getting back together for dinner, which is really exciting. Um, I and the rest of the discipleship team are going to be here. We're going to lead a time after that, just digging a little bit deeper into some of this, especially the practicalities of what some of this could look like and what we see happening here at HBIC. Um, working closely from the handbook thing we made. So uh, if you can't make a Wednesday and you still want to grab one of those, bruise it, please do. Um, major thing we're going to be using as we hope to equip each other into the future. Um, and again, like uh, life group leaders and other folks are going to be out at the table in the back. If you want to chat with them, grab a booklet, go online, sign up. This is the week. If you're going to do it, this is the time. Um, look forward to walking with you in those ways. If you'd be interested in talking more with the discipleship team about anything, about coaching, about whatever, uh, you can email me, Pastor Ryan. Uh, don't miss the double R there at harrisburgpic.org. Uh, would love to chat more and be a member of the discipleship team with you. Um, just to close, I wanted to read one of my other favorite passages of scripture. Um, this comes from uh, during the Last Supper in John uh, before they have communion. We read in John 13, verse 2, The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has, a, has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean, though it should be noted that he apparently still washes the feet of the betrayer. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and your Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's the example that he sets for us as teacher and as Lord. Catch the grammar at the beginning there. He says, Jesus knew he was returning to the Father. Jesus knew that all power and authority had been given to him, that he was from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that. So he got a towel and wrapped it around his waist and started washing his disciples' feet. His servanthood, his sacrifice, his love for us does not stand in contradiction to his status as God of the universe. It's an expression of the fact that he is the God of the universe, an expression of his character, that he gets that towel and he kneels down and he washes our feet. Amen? I got it. That is our Lord. That is our teacher. That is who we follow. Pray with me, please. Jesus, I don't have other words. Um, we thank you for who you are. And by your spirit, may we follow you. Our Lord, our teacher, our savior, our master, Jesus. Amen. Go in peace.